Good morning. morning. Well, first thing I want to do is say hello to newly married Matthew and Melly over there in the back. They got married on Friday. The next question is, why are you here? This is your honeymoon, right? No, I'm just kidding. I know they're going to Palau on their honeymoon. Uh, Maybe it's this week. I think you're leaving, but but Matthew's family traveled uh, really far, and they're sitting with Matthew back there. If you get a chance, go congratulate them, say hi to them. Now, we kicked off last week a new study that we're doing through the summer on heaven, and we had a good, good time last week to introduce it. There's so much to cover through the summer, and I've thought through chronologically each sermon to give you parts and it's just hard to cover everything in one message. I know you're always going to have questions. People wrote me this week with some questions. But today we're going to be covering the eternal city. But before I get to that, before I get to that, I wanted to tell you a story about a woman by the name of Susan Edwards, who, uh, I think it was around the year 2013, she walked into her backyard. Her home was in Monroe, Georgia. She walked back in her, into her backyard and she found a deflated helium balloon. Attached to that balloon was a note. She opened it up. She began to read it. She could tell right away that it was written by a child. And this is what she found on that note. Dad, I wish you were here so we could have fun together. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope you tell God to give you those presents. I hope you are happy in heaven If you are, okay, tell me. I love you, Alejandro. Now, Suzanne, who found this, broke her heart. She wanted to find out who this helium balloons can only travel so far if they were in proximity. And she went to social media and she put something out there to see if she could find who Alejandro was. In fact, she went on social media and she, she posted this. She said, a helium balloon floated into my yard today and landed in my heart. And she was successful. She found Alejandro's mother through social media and they began to interact. And she found out that they had three years ago, been living in Colombia, and that Alejandro's father was a lawyer who worked on cases where he was against drug cartels. And one day, the cartels found him in a street and shot him and killed him in front of Alejandro. And so the mother took him and moved to the States, and she wrote something to Alejandro. And she said, I want to tell you what heaven is like, because he wrote a letter my father's up there. She said, let me tell you what heaven is like. And she began to explain what heaven was like. And she asked Alejandro's mom, could you please let him read that? And she did. And, and as the story goes, she, she read it to Alejandro and he cried. And then the story was picked up by news agencies shared all over the U.S. and everybody cried who read that. But it, it, unfolds us into what we're talking about. What is heaven like? And today, like I said, we're going to focus on the eternal city. Last week, I used a verse from Christ where he said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. The word place, topos, means a literal physical place you can find. We get our word topography from that word. And 
He said, in my Father's house there are many mansions. And there's a lot of questions we have about what heaven is like. People have been asking me those things. And we're going to try to cover them through the summer. Today, the focus is on that place that Jesus is preparing for you. What is it like? It's a city. And I want to tell you that off the bat. And what I plan to do today is to talk to you about what the heavenly city is like. And I want to compare it and contrast it to man's cities. In fact, if you go all the way back to the garden, you've got Adam and Eve in the garden. There's no city. It's a garden. But as we move through time, you see that man began to, to congregate into populated areas and build these cities. In fact, I put together a couple slides to demonstrate this, the great cities of man in antiquity, which means of old. And I don't know how to pronounce this correctly. Katalhoyuk is one of the first ones. In the year 6,500 BC, it had a population of 3,000 people. And it said as they've excavated, they could see that they built their homes right next to each other in such a way that people would walk on top of the roofs and they had a community life that was a rooftop community. The next one as we go through history, Memphis, Egypt, in the year uh, 2250, a population of 35,000. You could see the boom as they began to get bigger. This city uh, was around the time of Abraham. Thebes, uh, Egypt, 2000 BC, a population of 75,000. Nineveh, now this is the city that we know about because of, of Jonah, right? If you've gone to church, Jonah was told, this is the Jonah that got swallowed by the big fish, go and preach to Nineveh. And this was a magnificent city. In fact, in the book of Jonah, three times it's referred to as a great city. And one time it says, it's such a great city, it would take you three days to walk from one end to the other end. Big metropolitan city of its day, population 120,000. Alexandria, Egypt, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they had a population of 150,000. And then we get to Rome. You know, Christ, when he was alive, Rome existed. One million people. The biggest city to date. What about today's modern cities? How do, how do they compare? Well, London in 1840 had a population of 2 million, doubled Rome. It was the largest city of its time. But New York, after World War I, swelled to a population of 7.8 million. Tokyo took the, the, the gold medal here in uh, 1965 with a population of 15 million. They haven't let go. Today, they're the largest populated city with, with a, a population of 35 million. Now, it got, to think, it got me thinking, you know, what about just largest city of, cities per square mile? And that surprised me. Look what's up there. The largest U.S. city by square miles, Sitka, Alaska. Anyone from Alaska here? You know, Scott, Scott and Scott's family is usually, there you go. Have you been to Sitka? No, I was there. I've talked about my 25-year anniversary. I took my wife on a cruise to Alaska. We stopped in Sitka. You pull up in the ship. It doesn't look like much, but apparently it goes out a long ways, a lot of square miles, right? The largest city square miles in the world is in Greenland. And there's a whole other list where you can aggregate things like, like population and city size, and you get a whole other list. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because I told you, what I want you to walk away today 
and be thinking about the greatest cities that man has ever made. And we're going to compare them to the eternal city. I don't know about you. Have you been to any great cities? I mean, Tokyo's up there. I've been to Tokyo. Usually it's going there and, and through the airport, right? Because we live in Guam. But maybe the best city I've been to that had wow factor for me was London. When I was a college coach, I went to London and I got to take my wife there. And I just imagine, you know, my wife, she's like, wow, you're taking me to London. And almost every day, all we did was watch soccer games. We went to, yeah, I was a coach. We, we, I was a soccer guy. You know, we got to see all the best teams play, you know. But there was one day, one day where it's like, all we're doing today is we're going to tour London. And we got on one of those red buses. We sat on the top where it, and it drove through. And I remember just being wowed by the architecture and the buildings. And we had these little things like this. And it was telling us about the history of the city. It was like, wow. But here's what I want to, here's, here's why I'm setting you up for this. Because every single magnificent city that man makes is going to be gone. They will all be gone. The Bible talks about this. And that's what my first point is today. My first point is the great cities of man, the end of them, the end of man's great cities. Um, now, last week I talked to you about how in the early church there were kind of these three streams of authority that they they built their truth upon. One was the Old Testament prophets. I wanted to show you from the Old Testament prophets. Micah says, the mountains will melt away like wax. Zechariah says, the Mount of Olives will split in two. Isaiah says, the earth will be shaken out of its place. Isaiah again says that the cities are desolate and the earth is violently shaken. They were given a preview looking into the future of what will happen to earth and the cities of man on earth. Now, Jesus in Matthew 24 is asked about the future. And he says, the sun will be darkened. There's going to come a time where this happens. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. When we get to the New Testament apostles, Peter says, the heavens will pass away. Peter also says, all things will be burned up and dissolved, including the earth and the works done on it. Everything that man builds with some type of sense of accomplishment, whether it's a city, whether it's a great tower, whether it's a canal, they will all be gone. And then John in Revelations, specifically about cities, says, the cities of the nations will fall. John says, every island fled away and no mountains were to be found in reference to a great earthquake. An earthquake unlike any earthquake that's ever happened before. And so it's, it's important to think about, and what we want to do today is contrast everything that manned our greatest accomplishments. Where will they be in the future? And what the Bible does is it takes us to the eternal city, the eternal city. Last week, I, I used a verse from Isaiah that says, the heavens and earth, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this is kind of where we're going. Now, through this series, there'll come a point where I'm going to talk about these things chronologically so you can think through them that way. But today, our focus is on the eternal city. So we see this. First, the end of man's great city. Secondly, this eternal city is being prepared. Last week, 
John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. This is not something that is metaphorical. It's a real place. Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, it was said about him, he left his land, the land of Ur, which at at that time when he was living, there was a great city in Ur. And he left it to go to the promised land, but he was described as a man. Look what it says. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was a man who looked forward to a city. And it's important because... As we go through this, I know there's going to be a point in this message where you go, that's real? That's, that's, that's going to be a real thing? Because some people, they might look at some of what the Bible says about the future and they allegorize it. Well, that's just, that seems ridiculous. I'm going to allegorize that. The city is real. We're going to go to chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation. You know what you're going to see in there? Fifteen times that's going to use the word city. We see that uh, Abraham looked for a city. He didn't wander out of Ur looking forward to something that was allegorical. It's a literal city. Jesus, in Revelation 3, called this the city of my God. And what's interesting... Randy Alcorn has got one of the more popular books about heaven. He says, everyone knows what a city is. We all live in, we know what a city is. You use the word city, somebody doesn't say, what's that? We know what a city is. And he uses the word city. We know what he's talking about. A city is a place that has fill in the blank. What comes to your mind? What's in a city? Culture, people, markets, art, government. Somebody's ruling there. This is what a city is. And Randy Alcorn goes on to say, he says, This city of God, if earth doesn't have these defining characteristics of a city, it would seem misleading for Scripture to repeatedly call it a city. And not only that, here's what I want to say about it. The last thing I'm going to give you about it on this point, it's made specifically for us. It has a purpose. And it's going, to, it's going to be like the capital of the new heaven and the new earth. In Revelation 21.9, let me read this to you. It says, Now then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. He spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, one of the first points I want to make, look at some of the specificity he's given you about the city, describing it. It has a foundation. It has walls. It has gates. But he says, I was taken to a high mountain and shown this city, and it came down out of heaven. 
Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And last week I talked about that. What's in heaven? God, his angels, saints. But also, there's this building project, if you will, the construction of the eternal city that one day will come out of heaven to us. And do you notice what he called it? The city, like a bride. You've been to a wedding, right? The wedding, the bride is back there, and the bride comes down to where the groom is. There's this, this movement that goes from there to here, and then you're, you're united. Now, I already pointed out, we had a wedding on Friday, right? And that's what happened. You know, the groomsmen and myself, we came, and, 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 the, and the groom, we were standing here. And then Melly had been prepared. She came over to another part of the campus. Nobody saw her. I mean, some people did, but not us, right? And then when it was time to start, we had, you know, the family that came down and sat, the flower girls that came down, all of that ceremony. And then there, you know, there was this limo. It was parked right there. And she came out, she got in it, and then the limo slowly moved down. The wedding was over there. I even looked at Matthew. I said, hey, look at the limo over there. You can see the bridesmaids' feet. They're walking like this on the other side of the limo. They were, they were building this up. So the limo's coming. The bridesmaids are there. Then, it, then, it, then when it stopped, the bridesmaids came around, and they were coming down the aisle. And while that was happening, Melly got out. And she was on the other side. The bride was on the other side. And then the limo, actually, I said, everyone stand. And we all turned, and we looked. And then the, the limo went like this, and there was the bride. And then she came down like that. And he's saying here that this is, this is similar to what we're waiting, we're anticipating to see the city. And he, his reference is to reference it like a bride. And there's going to be a moment where, woof, there it is, and it's going to come down. John MacArthur says, this new Jerusalem, it takes on the character of its inhabitants. You know why? Because we are the bride. The church is the bride. And we're going to go and we're going to dwell in this city. And that connection he makes here in this passage is like the bride. It's being prepared. Like, like Melly was prepared as a bride. She was done up. Not that it takes a lot, Melly, you know, but that's what they do with brides. And he goes and he's preparing. He's, I am going to prepare a place for you. When I think about that, I often go, hmm, I wonder what my place will look like. In me and my humanity, I think of stupid things like, it'll, I hope it has a soccer field in the backyard. You know, and then we're going to get to heaven and it'll be like, why would you ever want that when there's this? Like, I cannot imagine there's something otherworldly that's better than anything I could imagine in my humanity. But God knows me and he's preparing a place specifically for me. And if your name is in the book of life, he is preparing a place specifically for you. That's the first point. It's a city made specifically for us. And like Abraham, who was looking forward to that city, whose foundations are made by God, it's built by God, I too and you need to be looking ahead past this to something greater that's beyond now, not only is it specifically made for us, it's a city made to be the dwelling place of God. Now, just think about this. If you go all the way back to the garden, you had Adam and Eve in that garden. What would God do? He would come down and he would walk in the garden with Adam. 
There was a fellowship there. Now just think about this. An entire planet, and there's this one special place, the Garden of Eden. That's where God came down. That's how you need to think about this eternal city. It says it's the dwelling place of God where He's with man. Let me read it to you out of Revelation. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And that is special because there came a time where Adam was like, you got to get out of that special place on the planet where you walk with God because of your sin. And then through the Bible, you can see God gave us glimpses with his people. There was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was where God would come down. There's descriptions where the, the people of Israel saw the, the smoke that came down in that inner chamber where only the high priest could go. God would, would come and his presence would be there. But in this eternal city, in this chapter, do you know what it says? One of the things John notices is there's no tabernacle. Do you know why? Because he is there dwelling with us. We don't need a tabernacle to go, oh, he's over in that place. But we, got, we can't get close to him because of our sinfulness. The whole system was you got to come in the back through that gate. You got you to offer sacrifices to cleanse yourself and you kind of move forward. And through the priest, the priest came in to represent. He was your representative. None of that because we've been made clean because of the work of Christ and God's dwelling there with us. Now, not only is it a city made to be the dwelling place of God, but it's a city made to be the focal point of the new universe, a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, 2 says, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Don't overlook that. The words out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's why I'm saying to you, last week we covered the three heavens. There's the, the, the heavens that are the blue skies. There's the heavens that are outer space, but there's the third heavens. Paul said, I was caught up into the third heaven. And in, in, in that third heaven, this, Jesus goes and he prepares a place. And here John says, I saw it coming out of heaven, out of that third heaven. And it's coming down like a bride for us. And it's going to be the focal point of the new universe. You're going to see this when we get to its size. You can't miss it. It's ginormous. It's like being in a city with buildings only this high, and then there's one building that's just five times larger going up, and you're like, everyone in the city knows where that thing is. It's going to be. The, and just think about it. All the places where man dwell, countries, they have capitals. States, we have capitals. Territories, we have capitals. It's not uncommon then to, to, to say that God's new place that he's making has a capital. <clears throat> David Jeremiah on this says, it is important to realize that the city of New Jerusalem is not really heaven per se. It is the capital city of heaven. Here, the Bible's most climactic passages the great city is described as it descends, fully designed, fully built to the earth. 
It's a city that will be the focal point of the new universe, but also, and I think this is really the most magnificent part of it, is that it's a city that is holy. Revelation 21, 2, and I saw the holy city. Revelation 21, 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That may not seem a big deal to you, but we have never lived in any city, village, state, nation, country that we would say was holy. I remember this debate between a great apologist of faith and a doubter, and the, and the doubter was saying, people are basically good. There are some people in society that are bad or evil. There's the Hitlers out there, but given as a whole, most of us, we think of ourselves, we're pretty good. And the apologist said, is that true? He says, well, let me ask you a question. When you go to bed at night in the city, do you lock your door? Ah, he had him on that. We do lock our doors. Why? Because there's something bad out there. Imagine living in a city where you lock no doors. We have just been going through the process of trying to install nine security cameras around this campus to point in directions because we've been robbed on this campus five times in the last two years. Only this last week, we came out to our house and someone had come and drained all the gas out of my son's truck. They cut the line, took all the gas out. That's why over there you can see there's two cars parked really close to his truck because he was afraid they were going to come take his tires next. We had read about that. That was happening. But this is where we live. We have to protect ourselves. <clears throat> and here it says, this is a city that is holy. No one goes through the gates into the city that is unclean. There's nothing detestable in it. Think about living the kind of peace that you would have in that city. I remember, I think it was in the 90s, hearing a pastor talk about how the population uh, demographic studies are being made, that everyone's moving into cities. Tim Keller wrote a book where he talked about that and the value of cities. One of the things he said, cities have always been important because it's a place that protected people instead of being out in the wild range where you might be vulnerable. And yet today what we see is the opposite in a lot of places. People are leaving cities. It's not safe. I have friends that live in San Francisco and they tell me about it. Portland, people are like, we're out of here. People are leaving places and looking for safer places. This is a city that's holy where that, there aren't fears of that. And that's why I say I think it's one of the, the best aspects of the city. Now, it's being prepared, but what is it like? Some of what I gave you tells you what it's like, but let's get some specifics, right? And that's the last point. I want to just point out some things to you about what the city is like. And the first one I got to give you is how big it is. It's enormous in size. Let me just read to you Revelation 21 verses 15. It says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and the measured city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height were equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits 
by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built, and I'm going to stop there for a second. I just want to make comments about the size of this. Because you may not know what a stadia is, but you can figure it out and do that. Just like I don't know everything in meters, but I can go to Google and say how many meters is this inches. You know, you can figure these things out, the size. It's been done. And the measurements of the city, it's huge. First of all, it's the shape of a cube. You have to think of it that way because it says it's equal in height, in wet, in width, in, in length. Well, well, how wide, how long, how high? And the measurement comes out to 1,500 miles. No, not miles. <laughs> Let me, I'm going to make sure I get this. I didn't write that down on the one. I, I got to get that right. It's, a, it's about a mile and a half. Close. A mile and a half. So <clears throat> a writer compared the footprint to Jerusalem, of this new Jerusalem, to the size of the United States, saying, if you compare the new Jerusalem to the United States, you would measure from the Atlantic Ocean coastline and westward, it would mean a city from the furthest of Maine to the furthest of Florida and from the shore of the Atlantic to the Colorado and from the United States Pacific Coast westward. So it is miles. It is that high. And from the United States Pacific Coast eastward, it would cover the United States as far as the Mississippi River with a line extending north through Chicago and continuing on the west coast of Lake Michigan up to the Canadian border. It's big. It's the size of a continent. That's what I remember about it. And some artists have tried to draw this where they got a giant cube and they come down and they put it down on, on like the land. So you can see its size like that. Now, <clears throat> there was an Australian engineer who studied this. His name was Tamis and, and he was asked about it after studying it. His comments were, man, it's amazing. It's astounding. It beats everything I've ever heard of. John says that each of the walls of the city measure 12,000 furlongs. Here's where I get the, the right math here. Now, if you work that out, it will give you an area of 2,250,000 square miles. The only city four square that I ever saw was Adelaide in South Australia. The ship that brought me out of the old country called in there for a couple of days, and I thought it a fine city. But as you know very well, the city of Adelaide covers only one square mile. Each of the four sides is a mile long. London covers an area of one, 140 square miles, but this city, the city is four square. It's two million 250,000 times as big as Adelaide. And here's where you get some size comparisons. It is 15,000 times as big as London. It's 20 times as big as all of New Zealand. It is 10 times as big as Germany and 10 times as big as France. It is 40 times as big as all of England. It is ever so much bigger than India. It's, an in, in, it's a continent in itself. And he goes on to say, I had no idea of its size until you really sit down with a pencil and do the work. But he says, wait a minute. What about population? He says, it's even more wonderful still. Working it out on the basis of the number of people to square miles, the city of London, the population, city four square comes out 100,000 million. 
70 times the present population of the globe. So when you say, is it big enough for all the saints to be able to live in it? And his answer is yes, more than enough. And I thought about it this way. If you did, if you did from top to bottom, floor to ceiling, it's weird to think of it this way, but if it was a mile high, you would have um, going all the way to the top floor levels, right? Every floor level is the size of a continent. Because when you look at it this way and this way, it's from the East Coast all the way, almost to Colorado, from the West Coast all the way, Mississippi River, it's the size of a continent. It's large. And what is it going to be like, though, inside of that? Because people ask, well, how are you going to get around in that thing, right? I mean, it's already hard enough to get around in some of our cities. Is it? But let me, let me take you here first. Because after he gives those size, the size, he talks about its beauty. In Revelation 21, 18, he says, The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold. Clear as glass, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopras, and the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Its splendor and beauty is magnificent. Now, I've only owned one house my entire life. It was when I was in my 20s. We moved back to Oklahoma, and we didn't even have it a year. God called us back to California, and we moved out of it, and we sold it. But I, it, was, it was a brand new home in a neighborhood where there was only like five houses. And I can remember sitting down and you got to pick out what kind of carpet you want, what color, what kind of paint. And it was like, I mean, here it's like Jesus is preparing a place for you. The, I can think through preparing a place for me. When I was sitting there, I was like, you know, what kind of bathtub you want? Put jets in that thing. <laughs> but never did I say, make the foundation out of gold. It's cement and wood. And that's what we build our houses in. But here... The king of the universe is preparing a place and it's made out of the most precious materials. Its beauty is splendid. Now, you know, you can go through each one of these and find some type of meaning in it. And I want to give you one because it says all the gates are pearls. We know the phrase, the pearly gates of heaven, right? And just imagine a giant pearl through which we can walk through to go in and out as a gate. And why would God choose a pearl? Well, and this is where you can, what is God communicating here? Well, W.A. Crystal said, you know where pearls come from? They, they come from an oyster when they're wounded, and it goes through a lot of pressure to make it. And there's something about, you know, when we walk through those pearly gates, it's a reminder that we're only there because of the wounds of Christ. We walk through those pearly gates in the same way that it goes under the pressure to become that pearl that we as the saints have gone throughout history having to endure the persecutions, 
martyrdom. Sometimes in our life we might feel comfortable, but we wrestle in our flesh with the world. But we're there, the pearly gates of heaven. And you can go through all of the, the jasper, the topaz, the, 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 the gold, and find a way to find significance and meaning. It's enormous in size. It is magnificent in beauty. It's diverse in culture. Revelation 21, 25 to 26. In that verse, he says, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Representative, the citizens of this city will be representative of all kinds of nations throughout all history. I took note that one writer said there will be civilizations represented there that are extinct today. But it will be diverse. Perhaps the verse that you're more familiar with is Revelation 7, 9. Let me read that to you just real quick. But in Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before, before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And I think it's interesting there. It, it says nation again, but also tribes, but it also uses the word languages. If there's all these, this diversity of people groups and nations there, what language will we speak in heaven? That's an interesting thought that I'm not going to answer today. But we'll talk about that when we go over what our bodies will be like in heaven. Because there's a lot to be learned just in that, in that lesson. But the point I'm making is it's enormous in its side. It's, be it's beautiful in how it's been made, and the people who fill it, it will be diverse. And lastly, I put here, what is, is the eternal city like? It is life-giving. You ever heard the phrase, you know, I'm just being worn out by the city? The hustle and bustle, trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to get from here to there on the subway in the long hours, and the, it will not be a city like that. And the way it describes it let me just read to you one last passage here. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the street, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever." And you notice in there, it talks about the river. River is something that brings life. We need it for life. Without it, we can't live. It's present in the city. It talks about how it comes down through the middle of the city. 
Psalm says, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. And he says on each side of the city there are trees, 12 kinds of fruit, and the, the citizens will eat from that. Now when we talk about what our bodies will be like, I'm going to come back to this about eating and why, why do we have that. But I'll just tell you now that we will eat, but it won't be for survival and there won't be sin in the way that we might overeat. There won't be eating disorders because all that's removed. But this kind of eating brings life to us. He said there, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That word healing means therapy. Therapy, not in the sense of like, I need it because I've been injured and I've got to have therapy to get better. No, therapy in the sense like, I guess here's my humanity, right? We light a candle or we're in some sauna or we're in, it's like, oh, this is just helping me so much. It, it brings healing to us. And of course, the light. You know, you can't have life without light. And here it says the source of light is God Himself. It will be a city that gives life to its citizens, not sucks it out of them. Now, I've just given you some of these things. I know there's lots of questions still. And as we go through this, we're going to answer. I just want to say that we're going to sometimes come up to things where, where we might say, that just seems too incredible. Like, like the size of the, of, the, of the city. Some people, it's just, I don't see how you can have something that big. It just doesn't fit right. And so they allegorize it. They spiritualize it. But when I look at Scripture, there's too many references. Like Abraham, he's looking for the city. Jesus is the city of my God. Fifteen times here it calls it a city. And then if it tells us what the city's like, we're going to take it at face value. And let's be honest, if God can speak the entire universe into existence, it's not that hard for Him to move a city that He's preparing to here and put it in place for us. And it does, it does bring questions. Some we're going to answer as we go through. Your small groups, this last week, I think one of the things I said was just discuss amongst yourselves what questions do you have? Like, what do you ever wonder about heaven? And some people wrote me and they, they, they said, here's what, what was said in our group. There's a lot of interesting things. One person wrote them down, sent them to me. It was like, is it going to be monotonous in heaven? That's a really good question. Is it going to be boring? I mean, we think of ourselves as like, we're going to be, you know, singing and playing harps forever. <laughs> we're going to answer that question. The answer is no, it's not going to be monotonous. Are we going to remember things from this life? One person said, are there going to be donuts? I think they were thinking, well, there would be sweet stuff too. We're going to talk about these things as we go through, through this. But I'm going to finish today's lesson with this. Revelation 21, 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And I've tried to set kind of a, an overarching theme of asking the question, is your name in the book? Do you have a reservation? Last week I finished with the story 
about the, the, the professional singer who sang at the high-end party and then went to the reception and could not get in because she never RSVP'd and was escorted out. Well, I just want you to know, well, God has a sense of humor. Because after I officiated Melly's wedding, I went to the hotel for the reception, and my wife and I walked up, and there was a lady sitting there, and she says, what is your name, Kevin? What's the last name, Elwell? Maybe it's Pastor Kevin. She's like, your name's not here. Oh, wow. After I told the story, I lived it. And Ian, one of my friends, he was giving me stick that day. He was like, it doesn't matter what you did before. It only matters if your name is in the book. Fortunately, the result was okay, ended up okay because they still let me in. You know, I was still able to get in. And we laugh about that. And I think as we go through the study, we will laugh at some things like this. We're going to be in awe. But we also need to take serious. Because if our name's not written, if there's no reservation, it, will, it won't be like me at that hotel. It won't be like that. No one enters whose name is not in the book of life. Father, thank you that we can study this. Some things blow our mind. They're beyond our human minds, our, our comprehension. But you are a God who is infinite, and we're finite. How can we, in our finite minds, totally comprehend someone who is infinite? But you've given us what you want us to know. You've given us enough that we can know you. And in your word, we see that you're a God who is holy, that you would deal with sin, that there comes a day where you come and make right the world. In your city, it will reflect your character. It will be holy like you. You are holy. You are righteous. So it will be a city where every decision made is right. There is no unrighteousness. And we just thank you that we can know that our future is secured. We can have an assurance if we put our faith in the work that Christ did on the cross, we can be assured how blessed that is to, to know that, that our future is secure. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll finish worshiping together.